Good morning, everyone. Welcome to LifeBridge Online, and especially on this day, special day, Mother's Day. I'm Pastor Bruce Adrian, and uh, we're just excited to have you uh, join us online for this edition of our live stream service. And, uh, and so thank you for, for watching. We really appreciate it. In fact, if this is your first time to watch online, or, or maybe you're not part of our LifeBridge family, I want to invite you to let us know who you are. And uh, you can do that by filling out the online connection card there in the comments section. And so take a few minutes to do that. We would really appreciate it. In fact, if you have a prayer need and uh, you would like somebody to pray with you, pray for you concerning a need that you may have in your life, I mean, we'd love that opportunity as well. And uh, you can share that prayer need through the connection card that's there in the comments section, the online connection card. And so take a few minutes to do so. And, and uh, like we encourage you to every Sunday, uh, please, you know, like and share this live stream to your friends. And uh, that just helps us to get God's word out to a, a variety of different people that goes beyond just our LifeBridge family. And so you can help us in that way. Uh, as you know, today is Mother's Day. And so happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there that are watching this morning. Uh, we, we just so appreciate you and your role in motherhood. In fact, you know, there's a lot of conversation that's been going on for the last few weeks of uh, essential versus non-essential when it comes to jobs and our workplace and what that might be. And uh, moms, I just want you to know that your calling as a mother is essential, very essential. In fact, your role in the life of your children or even adult children is essential and worthy of praise. And so our prayer for you this morning is that God would give you an abundance of grace to persevere in your role as mom. Uh, not only today, uh, but in next week, this week, the weeks ahead, the coming months. And, uh, and so, man, thank you for serving in that role. We so appreciate it. So we pray that you have a wonderful, wonderful day on a unique day. A little bit different, obviously, since we're not able to uh, gather in person and meet. We're Obviously, in you know, still on lockdown, and so uh, nonetheless, we're excited to be able to bring God's word to you. And I'm super excited to be able to welcome uh, Kim Adrian and Zach Adrian. Kim's going to come and sing, and Zach's going to be playing on the keyboard. Now you're not going to see Zach. Zach's over on the side here, and uh, but you'll hear him playing the keyboards. And so Zach, thanks for taking time. Kim, come on up, and uh, she's going to sing a couple songs. And we pray and hope that. Uh, this will just lift your hearts and your spirits uh, as we worship our Savior today. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written. tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me Sinless 
Pilgrim on 
Well, thank you, Kim. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate you guys taking time and coming in and providing music for us. Really appreciate that. Well, well done in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I hope you have your Bibles, and so grab those Bibles uh, and turn with me to Ruth, the book of Ruth. For our scripture reading, we're in chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15 and then 19 through 22. So grab your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 1 and follow along as I read it for us here. Verses 6 through 15, it says, Then she arose with her daughters, that is speaking about Naomi, to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was, with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, 
for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. And then drop down to verse 19, and we see, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Wow, what an amazing passage of Scripture as we continue in our series here in the book of Ruth. And so far over the last two Sundays, we have seen that the overarching theme, you might say the big idea of the book of Ruth, is that if you want to find hope in a fallen world, then we need to turn to God for hope. Why? Because God is at work even in the darkest, bleakest times of our lives. Now, At first, this was a lesson that was not very apparent to Naomi. In fact, quite honestly, this was a lesson that Naomi had to learn the hard way. It was a process for her, a journey, if you will, in her own life of learning the truth of this lesson, that God is at work even in the worst of times. How many of you enjoy going to the dentist? That's what I thought, not that many people. In fact, I fully confess, fully admit that I have a, an aversion to dentists and needles. And one reason why is because I don't like pain. In fact, I hate pain, and so I try to avoid pain at all costs. And you sit in the dentist chair, the assistant comes in with a needle and says, oh, this will only feel like a little pinch. Not true. In fact, just a couple of months ago, I had to get a crown put on, and it was awful. Uh, The dentist accidentally poked me in the lip, and I thought I was getting a Botox injection. It hurt so bad. Uh, And then, not only that, but think about the name Crown. I mean, that is an appropriate name because only kings and queens can really afford them, but that's a different issue. The point is, I have an aversion to pain. I'm sure you do as well. In fact, it reminds me of what Thomas Jefferson once wrote. Uh, in a letter to a friend in which he stated, the art of life is avoiding pain. But we really ought to contemplate that. We ought to think through that. And because the book of Ruth teaches us something different. The book of Ruth teaches us that the art of life is not so much avoiding pain, but rather responding to pain. You see, the truth of the matter is, pain and suffering and disappointment is inevitable in life. It's part of living in a fallen, sinful world. And so how we respond to it all is the art of life. Now, Naomi knew firsthand about pain and suffering and disappointment in life. You might remember, after leaving Bethlehem for Noab, Naomi ends up trading famine for funerals. In fact, verse 5 kind of sums up Naomi's whole life when it says both Milan and Chilion, those were her two sons, also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And so think about it. Here is Naomi's life up until now, a famine, a move to Moab, the death of her husband, and then the death of her two sons. And so for Naomi, this road from Bethlehem to Moab, this road to nowhere is the dead end, and it is filled with tragedy upon tragedy. So now what? Well, no doubt Naomi's heart is filled with severe disappointment as she feels like God has abandoned her. So how will she respond to all this? Well, this question brings us to a universal principle that is true for all of our lives, and that is our response, my response, your response to disappointment in life will determine our walk with the Lord. 
Now, from this first chapter, we learn there are basically several different ways in which we can respond to disappointment and pain and suffering in life. When we feel God has abandoned us, we can respond like the husband did, the dad did, Elimelech did when he, there was a famine in the land. Like Elimelech, we can respond with disobedience and suffer the consequences of our choices. Next Sunday, we'll actually take a few minutes and we'll look at Ruth and Orpah and how they responded to their own disappointment in life in losing their husbands. But today, our focus is on Naomi, the mother of her two sons and the wife of Elimelech. But now she is widowed. Her two sons have lost lost their own wives. And so we're going to look at Naomi's response to disappointment in life. And so maybe you're here this morning and you feel like God has abandoned you. And what we're going to see in Naomi's response is that she responded with despair. Now remember, Naomi has been away from home for a long time, 10 years to be exact. Her husband and sons are dead, but God is not dead. God is at work, remember, in the worst of times. And so just when you think all hope is lost, look what happens next in verse 6 here in Ruth chapter 1. It says, Then she, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return. That word is key. It's key to the turning point in Naomi's life, in Ruth's life, and even in our lives. It is a return physically, Back to Bethlehem, but this word has connotations of spiritual implications of returning or repenting to the Lord as well. That is the the aspect of return, and it is the key to understanding the book of Ruth here. And so Naomi returned from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. And so God is very gracious to Moab here. And we saw last Sunday, this is the X factor of God's grace at work in her life. Now, the positive in this story, the positive going on in Naomi's life right now, is she left Moab to return back home. The negative is she's returning to her land, but not necessarily to her Lord. At least not yet. She will in time. It's a process for her. It's a journey. And so while Naomi responds to the news that there is now food in her homeland, food in the city of Bethlehem where she's from, she leaves to go to Moab, I mean to Bethlehem. Her heart is so full of disappointment, though, in God that she also responds with despair. We see this despair when she tells Ruth and Orpah at the end of verse 13, For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then she, she repeats this again. We see her despair again when she says in verses 20 and 21, she says to her two daughters-in-law, don't, or, or to this, the, the city, the women in Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Why? For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So do you see what's going on here with Naomi? Where's Naomi's focus? Well, it's, it's obvious. It's on herself. It's on her own disappointment with the Lord instead of on God and his deliverance from her disappointment. And that's the core problem with Naomi, but also with us. When we focus on ourselves instead of on God, we almost will always respond with despair to our disappointments in life. Now, What I want us to do for the next few minutes, I want us to take a look and see how this plays out in Naomi's life so that we can kind of evaluate how it plays out in our own lives. And so like Naomi, we respond with despair when, first of all, we emphasize our own emptiness, but not God's graciousness. When Naomi left Moab for the land of Judah... Her daughters-in-law went with her. In fact, verse 7 tells us she set out for the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So 
here's the scene that's being set up for us. We have three grieving widows who set out on this 50-mile journey back home to Bethlehem. And along the way, they stopped to have a what? They stopped to have a conversation. They got to talk about this. It's three women, and that's what women do, right? In fact, what's interesting in the book of Ruth, there are 85 verses in the whole four chapters here. And out of 85 verses in the book of Ruth, 55 of them are dialogue. And so notice the conversation that Naomi has with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. We see this in verses 8 and 9, where she says to them, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. In other words, Naomi is telling her daughters-in-law something like this. Go home. Why? Because I'm empty. I've got nothing to offer you. I have no kids, no money, no future, so you guys need to go home. I love you gals. I appreciate everything you've done for me. I appreciate you're willing to go with me, but this is not a good idea for you. And when you go back to Moab, I hope you meet a nice Moab young man, get married and have babies, and life will get better for you, and that the last chapter is not the funeral. And then at the end of verse 9, Naomi says to them, well, what she does is she then kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and all three of them wept together. So how does Ruth and Orpah respond to this? Well, They say to Naomi in verse 10, no, we will return with you to your people. That is God's people, the Israelites. But Naomi then tells them in verses 11, 13, no, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? And we already read the rest of the conversation there. And basically Naomi is telling them again, ladies, I have nothing for you. I am empty. You need a husband to take care of you. You don't need an old widow like me who will never get married again. And even if I did, even if that was a possibility, I can never get pregnant. I'm way past the age of getting pregnant. So I can't have sons for you. And even if I could, are you really going to wait for them to grow up and be of age where they can marry you? No, it's not realistic. And then notice what Naomi says next in verse 13. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, that's interesting, because who, at this moment, does Naomi hold ultimately responsible for the suffering, pain, and disappointment that has come upon her? It's God. But that raises a question. What about her husband? What about Elimelech? Didn't he himself have something to do with all this when he chose to turn his back on God and move his family to Moab? Now, how many of you, and I know you're watching this at home or wherever that may be, so perhaps you're sitting at your couch, but, you know, right now, how many of you can identify with Naomi at this point? You've thought to yourself, perhaps, God, I know I did this. I know I chose this. And perhaps it was even someone else with you. But, Lord, you should have stopped it, and you didn't. And so Naomi says at the end of verse 13, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now listen, that's a pretty good indication that right now Naomi doesn't see God as a friend, but rather as a foe. He's dealt bitter with me. He has made my life hard. He has gone out against me. And then Naomi ends this whole conversation by telling Ruth in verse 15, See, your sister-in-law has has gone back to her people and to her, what? Gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Whoa. That raises a question. Why? Would Naomi plead with her daughters-in-law to go back? Go back where? To Moab. Especially when she knows that God is blessing the land of Judah. 
and his curse is on the land of Moab. Listen, if it was right for Naomi to go to Bethlehem where the one true living God was blessing his people, then wouldn't it be right for Ruth and Orpah to go with her as well? Instead, Naomi tried to influence, encourage, even telling Naomi, uh, Ruth and Orpah to go back to their families and their false gods in Moab. Now, why would Naomi be doing this? Why did she try to turn back Ruth and Orpah to go back to Moab? Well, I think there are two reasons. First of all, Naomi considered herself unworthy of love. She simply considered herself unworthy of love. You almost get the impression in reading the story here that Naomi didn't want to take Ruth and Orpah back to Bethlehem because in many ways they were what? They were living symbols of her family's tragic mistake and disobedience of moving to Moab 10 years ago. It's almost as if Naomi is now trying to cover up her family's disobedience. She knows that every time she looks at these two daughters-in-law, she will be reminded of all that she has lost in Moab. She doesn't see their presence as a blessing to enjoy, but rather as a burden to bear. And so she detaches herself from Ruth and Orpah. And in detaching herself from them, this sad widow is isolating herself from those closest to her. Those who could support her. But underneath is actually a deeper issue. You peel back the layers of self-pity And you begin to see that Naomi has now convinced herself that God no longer loves her and neither should Ruth and Orpah. This is evident when Naomi says in verse 8, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. You see, the reason Naomi wants her daughter-in-laws to leave is because she identifies herself with who? Or with what? With the dead. In other words, in her mind, in her reasoning, she thinks what is left of my life is as good as dead. I'm empty. I have nothing to offer. I'm unworthy of love. I'm unworthy of God's love, therefore I'm unworthy of your love, daughters-in-law. Here's the point. Listen, if you ever reach the point in your own life where you are convinced that God does not love you anymore, you are going to find it impossible to be loved by other people. Listen, loving God and believing God loves you is actually the foundation for receiving love from others and even giving love back to them. And that's why true, genuine love is impossible apart from the love of Jesus Christ. We actually see this in Ruth's life later on in the book. In fact, the commitment that Ruth will show Naomi is only possible because Ruth becomes committed to Naomi's one true living God who gives her the foundation, who gives her the compelling reason to love because it's God's love in her own heart working. Now, there's a second reason, though, that I think Naomi tried to sway her daughters-in-law to go back home. The first is she considered her own self unworthy of love. But Naomi, number two, also concluded that God himself was unworthy of worship. You see, Naomi thinks she has nothing to offer Ruth and Orpah in Bethlehem. And I just want to say, are you kidding me? Naomi has everything to offer Ruth and Orpah in Bethlehem. Listen, she has heard what? 
when she was working in the fields of Moab, she heard God was doing what? She heard that the one true living God was graciously visiting his people and giving them bread in Judah. And so the best thing Naomi had to offer, in fact, I would go so far as to say it's the only thing Naomi had to offer, is God and God's grace to her daughters-in-law. But what does Naomi offer to her daughters-in-law instead? She tells them. Can you imagine? Look at it in verse 15. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. In other words, she's saying go back to your gods. Why? Because they'll probably be no worse to you than my God has been to me. Because my God has really dropped the ball. So just go back to your gods. Perhaps they'll treat you better. And I just want to say, what in the world is Naomi doing telling her two daughters-in-law to go back to their gods? Do you you know who the Moab gods are? They're false gods, but one of them, his name was Chemosh. And the worship of that god was actually child sacrifice. Imagine. So why would a Jewish woman who knows the one true living God encourage two pagan women to worship false gods? Doesn't make any sense. Unless Naomi has concluded in her own heart that her God is unworthy of worship. You see, perhaps Naomi has now come to the conclusion in her own thinking and reasoning this out that my God really isn't worth following anymore. I've been to the graveyard three times and it's obvious that God doesn't care about me. It seems Naomi's only concern for Ruth and Orpah is simply their physical well-being and not their spiritual well-being. Why? Because that's what Naomi's concern is. She's concerned about her own life. How am I going to make it as a poor widow whose God is against me? Do you see what Naomi's doing here? She's really having a pity party, and she didn't invite God to the party. Now, there's a lesson here for all of us, and I mean all of us. When we've decided, when we have come to the point where we've concluded, and maybe we've never expressed it, but we think it, that God is against us or God is against me, we usually, in fact, almost always, we exaggerate our hopelessness and emptiness. We become so bitter. We can't see the rays of light that are peeping through the clouds. Listen, it was God who broke the famine and opened the way home for Naomi. It was God who compels Ruth to stay with Naomi. It was God who intervenes on behalf of Boaz's life, as we'll see later in the book of Ruth here. But Naomi is so focused on her own emptiness, her own hopelessness, that she can't see God's grace at work in her own life. She will in due time, but not at this moment. So like Naomi, we oftentimes, we respond with despair when we emphasize, when we focus on our own emptiness emptiness and at the same time we forget or even neglect God's graciousness now there's a second reason why we respond with despair when we feel God has abandoned us and that's when we express our bitterness but not God's goodness now the Bible doesn't tell us anything about Naomi and Ruth's journey back to Bethlehem instead The focus is actually on their arrival in Bethlehem. Look what it says in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now, to put it in modern context, if this has happened today, 
it would have been all over social media. Naomi's home. After 10 years, Naomi's home. And then they would have made the observation she's coming back not with a husband and not with her two sons. Maybe the rest of the story will be posted soon. And that's when Naomi's bitterness erupted at these women who greeted her. Now we see now here Naomi's bitterness expressed. Notice that first of all, coming in, you know, on the screen behind me here to the side of me, Naomi blamed God for her own disappointment. She blames God for her disappointment in life. You see, Naomi's expectations collided with her harsh reality. And that jolt, that collision made her bitter. But what really provoked her was God's role in her disappointment. She blamed God for her bitterness. God is the one who has ruined my life, she says. And we see this in Naomi's play on words when she says in verse 20, do not call me Naomi. Remember what Naomi means? We saw this last Sunday. It means pleasant or sweet. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. And then she gives the reason why. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, Mara or bitter was exactly the right name for Naomi at this point in her life. In fact, it's a name with history. A history of God's people rebelling at his perceived lack of provision for their needs. It was in the wilderness at Marah that the children of Israel grumbled against the Lord because they couldn't drink the bitter water. You can read about it in Exodus 15. And this grumbling, if you can imagine what the children of Israel, took place just a few days after God performed one of the greatest miracles in all of the history of Israel when he parted the Red Sea. And now they're grumbling and blaming God. And so like her ancestors, Naomi's heart is angry with God for the way her life was turning out. She was experiencing the pain of disappointment in life and felt God is the one to blame. And so now, if you might imagine the scene, she's coming back home, she's coming to Bethlehem, but she's doing so as a bitter old woman. See, Naomi blamed God for her disappointment, but it didn't end there. We also see that Naomi blamed God for her deprivation. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar with those before and after pics, especially for those weight loss clinics that you see on infomercials or commercials on TV. You know the pictures of the same person. They're standing side by side. And so you have the before picture, which shows the person a little overweight. And then the after person shows the the person a little slimmer. And then the clinic gets all the credit, like Weight Watchers or or whatever. Well, I want to give you an example of a before and after picture on, coming up on the TV screen here. This is the Adrian family before and after. And it's a difference of 14 years. The first picture is taken in 2005. The second picture is actually taken in 2019. So you have this before and after of 14-year difference. And so you kind of see it's kind of funny a little bit, uh, although I don't think I've changed that much. Um, the rest of my family has, but that's debatable. In any ways, here's what I want you to notice. Naomi herself has a before and after picture. And there's 10 years difference in her picture. And here's what we see in it. She says, in her own words, I went away full, that's before, and the Lord has brought me back empty. That's her after picture. In other words, I left here home with everything, but now I am left with absolutely nothing. The big difference for Naomi is she looked worse, though, in her after picture than in her before picture. The the before picture was a happy one. In her picture... It was full as Naomi stood with her family. She stood with her husband. She stood with her two sons on the day they left Bethlehem for Moab. And so although they were hungry, they were, quote, happy. But the after picture for Naomi now, as she comes back to Bethlehem, is dreary. It was certainly empty 
as Naomi stood alone on the day she returned to Bethlehem. In fact, she's so bitter, she doesn't even notice that Ruth is standing right beside her, though. So Naomi came home feeling and looking like a bitter old woman. She felt God had deprived her of her loved ones. In her eyes and in her reasoning, God had committed highway robbery, stealing her husband and her sons and now leaving her empty. And to strengthen her point, Naomi says in verse 21, Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now let's just stop right there. And let's talk about this for just a minute. Because honestly, what's your first reaction to Naomi at this point? Now, I'll admit, I, I love Naomi's honesty. At least she's honest about it all. She doesn't try to hide what's in her heart. She actually runs to God's people and tells them what she's feeling, what she's thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's in my heart. May not agree with it, but at least she's being honest. So I ask, do you identify perhaps with Naomi at this point in your own life? How she's feeling, how she's thinking about God even. In fact, maybe you're even, if you are really honest, a little bitter towards God because of some things that have happened in your life. You're disappointed with God. You feel like perhaps God has even abandoned you. And if that's you, listen, let me encourage you to at least be honest before God. Acknowledge your disappointment and confess your own bitterness to the Lord. But this brings up another super important question about Naomi's own theology. Is her view of God right or wrong? I would suggest to you, based on her thinking, based on her own words and what she expresses here, that Naomi at this point in her life allowed her own circumstances. And we know what those circumstances were. It's full of disappointment, tragedy, death. She traded famine for funerals. And she allowed those circumstances to now dictate to her that God is great, but he is not good. Now, these two doctrines must be held together. God is great and he is good and they have to be held together. You cannot separate them. Listen, these two doctrines are like peanut butter and jelly. They just go together. They must go together. God is great and what I mean by that is God is sovereign. In that he reigns over the affairs of men, but God is also good in that he works out everything for his redemptive purposes. And these two truths must be held together at all times. Say, why? Because if you cling to one and not the other, you end up with a very insufficient, an inaccurate and even dangerous view of God. For example, if you only believe that God is sovereign but not good, you will know that God is in control, but you will also think that he is cruel at times, that he is mean, and that he's even unjust in your own life, and he doesn't care about your life. And that's not the God of the Bible. And if you only believe that God is good, but he's not great, he's not sovereign, then you will end up with a God who's lovey-dovey, a God who cares, but doesn't have the power to intervene in our lives in order to accomplish his redemptive purposes. And let me tell you, that's not the God of the Bible either. So at this point in her life, Naomi is only sure about one thing. God is great, but God is not good. And so consequently, she responds with despair 
great despair and even bitterness in light of her disappointing circumstances. You see, Naomi is mistaken, gravely mistaken, to measure God's goodness by her own level of happiness or her immediate circumstances. But let's be honest, we do the same thing, don't we? We're all prone to do the same thing that Naomi's doing here. We are prone, we are tempted, we struggle with it, we judge God's love, we judge God's goodness by how many of our own desires get met, by whether or not our dreams come true. And when our dreams don't come true, when our desires don't get met, aren't materialized, listen, our attitude then reveals what we truly believe about God, such as when our circumstances go badly. We assume that, it's, that God's just out to get us. Or when life is hard, we blame God for our pain and loss. And this result this results uh, in this view of God is we become very bitter towards God that we completely miss the marks of God's goodness at work even in the midst of our disappointment and difficulties. Like Naomi, we may be so busy, we may be so busy emphasizing our own emptiness that we miss the fact that God has emptied our hands in order to fill them with something good, or perhaps even something better. So although Naomi recognized, and at the same time resented, God's providence in her life, the real problem is she forgot God's purposes are at work, even in the worst of times. She forgot the story of Joseph, who was sold as a slave by his brothers, later framed by Potiphar's wife and put into prison. I mean, if anybody had reason to say with Naomi, it was Joseph, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. But Joseph kept his faith in God, and God turned it all into his personal good, Joseph's personal good, but also for Israel's personal good. The key lesson is found in Genesis 50, verse 20, when many years later, Joseph looks at his brothers, who are the ones who sold him into slavery, and he says to them, but as for you, oh, you meant evil against me, but God meant this all for good. You see, Naomi is right to believe in a sovereign God who rules over the affairs of all people and even gives each day both its pain and its pleasure. But she needs to open her eyes to the signs of God's grace and goodness at work. Think about it. It was God who visited his people in giving them bread in Bethlehem. It was God who opened the way home for Naomi. And notice God's goodness at the end of verse 22 when it says, And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of what season? Barley season. In other words, there is a harvest to reap. That's hope. The famine is now gone, and God's blessing has arrived. It's a whole new season of Bethlehem. And if Naomi could only see what this is going to mean, not only that, but Naomi needs to open her eyes to who is standing beside her, who came home with her. And that was none other than Ruth. What a blessing Ruth is going to turn out to be. A blessing of God's grace and goodness. And yet, she, as she and Ruth arrive home, what does Naomi say in verse 21? The Lord has brought me back empty? Not so, Naomi. Listen, she's so full of bitterness in her own heart, she can't even see the goodness of God in Ruth. I often wondered what would Naomi say if she could only see that in Ruth that she will gain a son and that this son 
will be the grandfather of the greatest king in his Israel. And that this king will foreshadow the king of kings, Jesus Christ. I think Naomi would say to God, God is great. And in his greatness, God is both gracious and good. So as we step back from all of this now, what lessons should we learn? What should we learn from Naomi's response to disappointment? Well, for starters, listen, we don't have to respond like Naomi did. We don't have to respond with despair to disappointment in life. Instead, when you feel God has abandoned you, acknowledge your disappointment by turning to God for hope because in His greatness, listen to me, God is both gracious and good. You see, Naomi teaches us that God does not intervene in our lives in order to give us everything we want. God draws us to himself so that we will find our security and our contentment and our peace and our joy in none other but him. And to get us to that point, God oftentimes uses difficult times, disappointments to show us our need to depend on him. In fact, God may bring us to a point of even emptiness in order to demonstrate that His grace is at work in our lives. You know, as we reflect on even this pandemic, perhaps that is even true, what God's doing in our lives at this moment. Because through this pandemic, God is even destroying some of our own idols that we may have built up in our own hearts and lives. Idols that we have depended on, worshipped, find confidence in, find our joy, peace, and security in. And overnight, many of those things have been cut off and taken away. Something to think about. The lesson God was teaching Naomi is this. And it's the lesson that God wants to teach us. So be honest about your disappointment in life. How? Not by turning to others, not by turning to this idol, not by turning to what's on Facebook or anything else, but rather by turning to God himself. Because in his greatness, God is both gracious and good. I love what David writes in Psalm 27. Listen to these words. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So listen, I'll close with this. If your life has fallen apart, if your life is filled with disappointment, if your future looks hopeless, then learn from Naomi that God is at work to give you a future and hope. Turn to him, trust him, and wait patiently on him. Listen, you don't have to respond with despair when you feel God has abandoned you. You can respond with hope. Why? Because our God is always at work, even in the worst of times. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we praise you that even in the deepest abyss of our suffering, you are there, you are working. Your purpose is out for our good, but most of all for your glory. And so help us to see that even in our disappointments, we can still respond with hope when we turn to you and trust in your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, let me just encourage you, if you need help, if you need prayer to Again, fill out the online connection card. Uh, We want you to know that we're here to serve you in any way we can in your own spiritual journey, uh, wherever you are in that journey. And so let me encourage you to uh, watch again next Sunday as we'll continue in this series. And we'll look at the response of Ruth and Orpah to their own disappointment in life. 
and there's much to learn uh, from those two ladies as well. You know, our mission here at LifeBridge, as I say every Sunday, is to bridge the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we believe the gospel of Jesus is what makes the difference. And so our heart's desire here at LifeBridge is truly to see people trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior and to then follow him as their king. And so one way that you can help us in fulfilling our mission here at LifeBridge uh, is, is, is to give financially to our church. And I know in the midst of this pandemic, uh, some of you are able to continue to work. You haven't had any loss of income, and perhaps there are some where that is not the case. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost uh, a, some income because you're unable to work or you have had, have had to take a pay cut. Wherever you may be on that spectrum, we're encouraging you. If God has blessed you, then we appreciate uh, your faithful giving to LifeBridge that allows us to continue our mission and ministries here. And perhaps you are in need of a blessing. You're in need of some financial help. Uh, listen, we're here to help you too. We want to help you bridge the gap, whether it be food assistance or even some financial assistance. And so please contact us. Fill out the, the online connection form. You can contact our church office. And uh, we'd love the opportunity to assist you and help you in that regard. So far, we've been able to do that with uh, several people with food assistance and even some financial assistance. And we, that's the purpose of our benevolence ministry. And so, you know, please reach out to us. Don't bear that burden by yourself. And then let me encourage you once again to join us online next Sunday as we continue in the Book of Ruth. In the meantime, stay strong in the Lord. And God bless.